Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today we are speaking with Lise Wilcox. Lise is a transformational life and mindset coach, and she shares so much with us in this episode about herself, her journey, what she's come through all the way back from childhood, her cancer, how she dealt with that, the divorce, and how she has really stepped into a space of learning so much about herself so that she could allow others to see that when we come back to what it is that we really want and who we are at the core is where we can make a difference and make an impact in this in this world. So we talked a lot about how she came to those realizations, had those moments of aha moments where learning that make the story beautiful and that she was enough. She was more than enough. And she does that work with her clients as she dives into emotional intelligence. So I know you are going to love this episode and understand that you do have the tools to make an impact in your world, in your life. When you get down to the root of who you truly are, and listen to that and follow that path. So I love this episode. You're going to love it. I would love to hear your takeaways. Sit back and get to meet and know Lise Wilcox. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, I'm excited about this. We have run in the same circles for (laughs) quite a while now, haven't we? And we've seen each other's names and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, let's just connect and see and just have a chat. So this this will be a great episode. So we're going to start with letting people get to know who you are and a little bit about you. Where are you from? Stratford, Ontario. We discussed this much. Yeah. Still in Stratford? No, I'm not. I'm in Coburg now. Coburg. Okay. Yeah, I knew you weren't too far from where I am right now. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Justin Um, Bieber and I. Just, it's worth saying that. Justin Bieber and I are both. It's you know, Justin Bieber and I are both from Stratford. Of course, Justin Bieber. I love it when you say when they say uh, he was in visiting, and it's like you can tell because there's like a barricade. There's all these things. Yeah, yeah. He shows up here. He's actually does show up here quite often. That's hilarious. Okay, I almost think I know this answer, but everyone else isn't going to know this answer. What Mm -hmm. is your favorite book? Oh, The Alchemist (laughs) by Paulo Coelho, and it is like. Is strongly recommended reading for anybody. Awesome. Can you, would you share with people what is one major takeaway that you took from that book? Oh, absolutely. I think the major takeaway mm-hmm. is that you always just have to trust each and every phase of your life as the stepping stone that gets you to the next phase of your life. Mm-hmm. And I can say that with a great degree of certainty, not only from my own life, but from reading that book four times. And every time I've read the book, it actually feels like it's a different story being told, but that lesson is pervasive. That, that's mm-hmm. the message. 
And that's, and you know, we're going to dive into that because trusting the phases of your life sometimes is a really tough thing to do, but you start to learn that, you know, when you look in hindsight, you're like, oh, that's why that happened. Oh, that's why that happened. That makes sense. That's awesome. We're going to dive into that. Do you have a favorite quote? Mm, I have so many. Um, this is so arrogant, but I'm going to use one of my own. I, <laughs> it's like wildly arrogant. Was, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, we don't want the thing. We want the feeling we think the thing is going to give us. Mm. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Isn't that true? It is so true. Yeah, that is so true. Um, do you have a favorite mentor or it could be somebody you know or don't know mm. or somebody who's impacted your life, you're thinking? I, I would say it's Brene Brown. And, you know, I first... Man, I first read one of her books at just the right moment in my life when I was just ready to dive into that self-transformation work and I didn't know even where to start. Um, and then, you know, just like everybody has this relationship with Brene Brown, once you have a little, like a taste, you want so much more, right? And so a few years ago, I flew to LA to go to a conference oh, where I knew she would be the keynote. And this incredible thing happened. Like she did this phenomenal keynote. She's a wonderful speaker. Yes. Um, but I, I decided from that trip, I was also, I was, you know, it was my birthday. I was already going to be in LA. I'd always wanted to take this trip and drive from LA up the coast. Mm -hmm. So I rented a Mustang convertible and I like drove all the way up to Seattle on the Pacific Coast Highway. And it was a dream. Um, so I left the conference a little bit early. And as I was waiting for my cab to take me into Burbank to, to rent my car... Brene Brown came out to get into her car. So we were kind of like both waiting there at the same time. And it was just a really wonderful moment. I know she's an introvert. So I was like, man, that was an incredible talk. Like, thank you so much. So that was really cool. And I just kind of hung on to that. Except last year, I flew to Austin for the same conference, but didn't end up going to the conference because I decided I would rather just walk around eating tacos instead. And nonetheless... No was at that conference. So as I was waiting in the bloody lobby of no. the hotel, yes, yes, Renee Brown fucking walked past me again. And I was like, okay, I'm listening. Like, I'm really listening. So oh Renee Brown. Yeah. So, oh, okay. So cool? <laughs> um, beyond cool. Sorry that I kept jumping into your like story. <laughs> I swore it's just like it's so cool. I promise you that people who listen to this podcast are going and rolling their eyes at the same time. If you could have seen my face, I'm sitting here going, no, no. So I I have been given um by a few people, which is it's okay. I'll take it as a compliment. But a Canadian version of Brene Brown uh, yeah. and yeah. and and how I speak and what I do, and yeah. yes, that's a piece. I get that. that. Her, she has impacted me in ways that um, I just think she's brought things out of me that were there. And the exact same thing is that there was one point in time where her TED talk on vulnerability crossed my path and I must have been just open to receiving it. And as soon as I heard it, I was like. Oh wait, I get, I get it. Like I, I actually get it. Shame. I'm doing that. Like I did, I, it was so enlightening to me and a number of her books I go back to regularly. And for me, Daring Greatly is just one of my anchor books that I go back to and I love her. There's so much I love about her. So everybody so knows. Can that. I, can I tell you something else about that same story? Tell me what? Yes. <laughs> okay. So two things. Um, one is really funny and one is like an amazing takeaway for every single person 
ever to have been born. But so <clears throat> I listened to another one of her books. Uh, I think it was Braving the Wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, because I love road trips. This is going to be illustrated in just a second. I was also driving from here to Elkhorn, Wisconsin, because there was this like amazing camp. And uh, these folks from Chicago rented out the camp and hosted like a, uh, um, a weekend retreat for creative entrepreneurs. So I was like, I am driving 14 hours straight to Elkhorn, Wisconsin mm-hmm. to go to this thing. And it was also, it was life-changing. It was like, that was the first moment where I was able to shift into, oh my God, I'm going to be a published author. And incidentally, my book comes out like this fall, right? Yes. So it was one of those transformative experiences. But nonetheless, I was driving to Elkhorn, Wisconsin, listening to Brene read her book to me. So in LA, in that moment where I was waiting for my car and she was waiting for her car, you know, you have, you develop such an intimate experience with her. And when she's reading you her book, it feels like she's in the car with you. And so, you know, what I said to her in that moment was like, wow, that was such an amazing talk. Thank you so much. But what I almost said was, oh, Brene, I haven't seen you since our trip to Wisconsin because it was so intimate to me that I was like, oh, girl, you got to check yourself. Brene Brown was not actually in the car with you. It feels like it though when she's reading it. Hey, like my exact words were the first time I heard it, I'm like, oh, she's talking to me. Like she's talking to me. Exactly. Just the rest of you, not the like, other 20 million people who've watched it. I know. I know. <laughs> so, and so that's, I mean, does that ever speak to her power and impact, right? But mm-hmm. what I think helps inform that exact connection that you and I and 20 million other people have with her specifically is this. When they were introducing her as the keynote, it turns out the woman who runs the conference and Brene Brown are like really good friends. And they're friends because their kids go to the same school. And so they had moved to some part of Texas and they were dropping their kids off. So they ran into each other and they're like, hey, do you want to have coffee? And this was before she became like, capital Brene Brown, right? right? And so the woman introducing her was like, I got to tell you, when I sat down with this woman over coffee, I was like, so tell me, Brene, what do you do? And she said, Brene looked at me dead in the eye and said, I'm going to change the global conversation on shame and vulnerability. <gasps> oh, I'm And just- it was like, there was no wavering. It was so laser focused. And, you know, as the consumer of that, she was like, oh, okay, wow you know, thought it was a little bit weird, but okay, I respect that. But that was her laser focus. Mm -hmm. And now what's this? Probably 10 years later. I don't really know the timeline on that. 10 years later, like look what she's built, right? And it started with that very singular intention of I'm going to change the global conversation on shame and vulnerability. Oh, I just, so like we apparently we're gonna have a podcast here on Brene. So anybody who's <laughs> listening, because like this is all Brene talk right now. If you don't love Brene, I don't even know why you're listening to this podcast if you don't love Brene, to be honest. <laughs> this is such a good segue for everything we're talking about. It, is like, it really, segue. really is. Oh my god, it's an amazing segue. And I love how she has taken that into corporate and into businesses yeah. now because when they say, okay, we, we want to have you speak, but you can't talk about shame or vulnerability. And she's yes. like, yeah, well, that's not going to happen because yeah, I know, I know. part of every conversation. And I think that's the other thing is realizing it really is part of every conversation. Yes. From her is where I really started to understand the importance of owning your story, mm-hmm. like owning your story and calling it out. And that was how I handled shame. I don't know mm-hmm. if I shared this. That was how I handled shame was the fact that I, if I call it out and say what my story was and what I was dealing with, then there was no room for 
Like it couldn't live. Shame couldn't live because I'd already exactly. called it out it, and it changed everything. So this is like, own your choices, own your life. No joke yeah. is, was inspired by everything I had learned from Brene Brown. So one, one of the things that she said in California, and I'm sure it's in a book or I'm sure it's in many books actually, is that shame thrives in secrecy. It does. And, and that was one of those gut busters for me that I was like, okay, so voice. therefore, if we don't want shame to thrive, oh, Marsha, you know exactly what we have to do, right? <laughs> that's why we're here. That's why you and I do the things that we yeah. do because that's why we're here. You yeah. have to talk. As soon as you give it a voice, it loses it. It's just, it has no power whatsoever. And the most eye-opening moment um, for everyone just to like is really realizing that I was the one that was feeding yeah. shame. I think that's the ownership piece is I was the one feeding shame by not giving it a voice. So instead of being mad at the world for where it was at, it was learning that I was the one that had to say, okay, stop doing that. The second you stop doing that, you change the whole story. So it's a, it's a powerful piece. And I mean, I love, there's, there's so much room in this world for so many people, speakers, coaches to be talking about this because it is such a big issue yeah. on so many levels. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, see, there we go. There's your whole Brene segue for anybody. <laughs> who so amazing. I love it. That's always my answer when people say mentor and I'm like, it's her it, yeah. yes, family. Yes. Other things, but for her, because she changed my thinking in a moment and opened my eyes and that opened it up to so many other things. So, and you know, just to carry on that thread, I also think she's an incredibly real person. Oh, I, that's she's absolutely a wife and a parent. And she's, you know, she's got her own like body image stuff that she's been dealing with. And, and she's so real, 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 real that it's like, I just respect her so much because she's bright, she's articulate and she's just such a real deal yeah. person. I just uh, have endless respect for her. Okay. The only thing I have to add to this is that mm -hmm. if you go on another road trip again to try to like listen, meet any of those things, can you let me know if you need yeah, to go hard? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm there. Like I'm totally there. I just love this. Interestingly, the, and you can cut me off or cut this out if you're like, okay, at least honestly stop talking. But um, every time there is a full moon, I get some kind of wild dream. Yeah. It, not every time, but most times. And if I have a dream on a full moon, it is always an indicator. It's some kind of like cosmic breadcrumb about what comes next in my life, right? Wow. And, and that's been true for years. So just this past week, we had a pretty epic full moon, like heading into the spring season. And I had this crazy dream where all night, I just kept like tossing and waking up and tossing and waking up. And every time I woke up, all I heard was Tennessee, 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 Tennessee. I was like, what the hell? And I'd go back to sleep wake up again, Tennessee, 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 Tennessee. I have been obsessed with like the state of Texas for a really long time. And I'm pretty convinced I'm going to marry a Texan. But then this dream was like, oh, maybe I'm going to Tennessee. So Tennessee may very well be the next road trip on my All list. Right. All right. I'm there. I'm totally there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so this is a great leading question before we get into you, even more of you and your story. What lights you up? What is something that drives you? Oh, so much. Um, I'm very easily entertained, I would say. And so like, um, I don't know, honesty, that real sense of connection, people just being who they are and standing like unabashedly in that truth. I find that just so refreshing. Um, I 
you know, I've got a list of hobbies and values and things, right? And, and like laughter is a value of mine. Singing is a value of mine. That if I'm using my voice in that way through singing, through communicating, through like genuine connection, through that like gut busting laughter, even if it's a ridiculous stuff, I just feel so so alive. And lucky for me, I am so easily entertained and I do have three little girls. So there's like tons of laughing and singing and song parody writing here that it's like a pretty joyful, it's a pretty joyful experience. So awesome. You have three girls. How old are they? Nine, seven, and seven. Seven. Yes. So let's just put, just put that into perspective before we even get into your story. So nine, seven, and seven. Three kids in two years. Three kids in two years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. So let's talk about you. Let's talk about you. You and I had a conversation this week and we talked about what it is that you do. And I love what you've created and what you said here. So would you share with people what it is that you do? You bet. So until very recently, I had my title as professional human and real life adult, which I thought was very witty. And I was like, I am. I do so many things, you know, between writing, speaking, coaching. I'm a taco enthusiast. I'm a single parent. Like I do all the things. I do a lot of social media influencing. And I was like, oh, professional human is such a clever way of saying it. And it wasn't really communicating with my or connecting with my audience in my coaching business. (laughs) So I was like, I think as a professional human, I might actually have to grow up and elevate my own business title a little bit here and I move beyond that. It was a great conversation starter. But nonetheless, what I have been really... um, Sometimes you're so close to it, you can't even see it, right? right. The way I've been um, refining my own title is transformational life and mindset coach. What I do is I teach people how to elevate their impact using emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is like at my core, you know? I am somebody who grew up with a very high EQ. I don't know if people know this, but like you have an IQ that you're born with. That's how smart you are, quote unquote. And you have an EQ as well as intelligence quotients, Uh, emotional quotient. And mine is really high, which means I'm really sensitive. I feel things really deeply. I have this super keen ability to observe the human experience and kind of pull insights out of it that I don't think a lot of people know how to put words to, but I do. And as a child and teenager and young adult, I was really punished for that and never, ever appreciated for that. And so I learned how to like suppress it and totally turn it off. And it's only now that I've started to appreciate like, oh my God, that is my like number one strength is to use emotional intelligence to help articulate what our story is. And when we can articulate that and fully show up in our lives as ourselves, like when we just have that permission to be who we are, it changes everything in your business, in your life, in your love. And that's what I do is that I help people through that process and teach them how to get there. So they are basically able to be themselves and do the work that they were meant to do on this planet. I love everything about that. That is, that is stripping away all of the things that we're told that we think that we're supposed to be, that we're supposed to do. It's stripping it away to really help people see where, where they are and what it is that they're meant to do. Mm -hmm. 
Do you find, I'm just thinking right now, there's, I don't know why this question popped in my head, but it's, we're in the middle of the pandemic. So we're in the middle of this time, a very unique time in all of our lives. No one's ever been here before, right? There's no, I love to say this, there's no playbook. So when people, I did a a call last night with a group of moms who are literally beating themselves up nonstop because they're not doing enough. People are, people feel they're not doing enough. They're trying to be parents. They're trying to be teachers. They're trying to be, you know, I mean, just and take care of themselves and self-care, but now they can't even ask for help from other people because we're all isolated. So it's a really unique time, but it's also a time where there's some space and, and let's just call this out that the human humans, it can be uncomfortable with space because a space allows us to see what is or isn't working. And I think that because we're so quote unquote busy, we shove so much, pardon me, into our lives that we don't embrace the space very often. So when we embrace this space, like, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I just see that that's an opportunity to see what is or is not working. Yes. And I actually, if I, I'm going to answer that specifically with respect to education. Um, When I started my career, like when I was in my very early twenties, I actually began in Montessori education. So I have like a solid 10 years of education, developmental psychology, like all the good stuff under my belt, in addition to parenting. And here's what's so fascinating. One of the really fascinating elements of COVID of the pandemic is that it is, it is going to change systems that we know that we have known to be true. I don't think it's going to change all of them. At the beginning, I was like, this is going to change everything. I actually don't think that's true, but I think it's going to change certain systems. One of them being the way in which we work. I think that no longer are we going to have to be forced into like a nine to five work day because we've seen it doesn't have to be like that and it still works, right? But two, our education system is so broken. And yes, I fully appreciate that Canada still has like one of the best education systems in the world. I get that. And it's still antiquated. We are running off of such an outdated model of like this industrial model of education of we put kids in literal boxes, but we call them desks. And, you know, we like we plunk a new teacher in the classroom and we have the teacher disseminate information bound only by their own limits of what they know. And that that's not a diss to teachers. That's how the system is set. Right. And the crazy thing about this is that industrial model of education used to prepare kids for an industrial model world, right? It prepared them to be middle management. Well, guess what? As we've seen in the past four weeks, those jobs literally don't exist anymore. No. So what's so fascinating to me as a parent and as a like a citizen of the world is that right now we have an opportunity to teach our kids how to be kids. Mm. You know, like the thinking, the brain patterns, the the creativity that our current and future work world demands is creative thinking. It's problem solving. It's figuring it out. It's concentration. It's independence. It's the ability to problem solve by looking at something and figure out something new, right? Mm -hmm. Kids actually don't get most of that at school right now. Sometimes they do. Most of the time they don't. They do get it from building forts. They do get it from being bored and being like, I'm so bored. And their parents being like, cool, go outside. I'm locking the door. I'm going to, you're going to figure it out. That is how we actually develop leaders. Mm. And now is not the time to necessarily be like, I have to be a full-time employee and a full-time parent who's also like a full-time educator delivering a, delivering a curriculum. Yeah. No, you got to keep your kids stimulated 
but stimulation wears many, many hats of its own, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that sinking into that space of like, hang on, how can I reframe this? How can I zoom out and look down on this in a slightly different way and leverage this as an opportunity to do things differently? Because that's what we have to do. Sinking into this space demands that we do things differently. It sure does. It's, it's, it is a real shift and change for a lot of people. And there are, there are a number of people that I have in my life that are embracing this and going, this is what it is. What are we going to create? What's it going to look like when it's done? And I can't tell you how many people in the first two weeks were like, I can't wait to get back to normal. I'm like, there's no going back. Like we're all different. We're all different from this experience. We, it, it's not going to look the same. There's going to be a lot of businesses that unfortunately won't make it, but there's also going to be brand new businesses that are built from this time. So it's, it's just this whole weird space of unknown that I think it really makes some people uncomfortable. Well, and you know, another really fascinating component of that specifically is that we have lived in a world for as long as we can remember that has been very masculine energy. And I don't mean male, female. I really do mean this like masculine energy. That masculine energy is do achieve, do achieve, do achieve, do achieve. If you want to achieve more, you just do more. It's like such a simple formula, right? You go to school, you study hard, you get a good grade. Mm-hmm. You go to work, you work hard, you get a big bonus. It's like, it's such an easy formula. All of us, like each and every one of us have been to our coach, our therapist, our Reiki expert, our massage therapist, whatever. And they've always said to us, you need to slow down. You need to cultivate more of your feminine energy. And all of us are like, yeah, yeah, I know, but I'm too busy doing and achieving. You know, I'm ambitious. I'm driven. I got goals. <laughs> this, this has been a, oh Yeah how about now? Like, how about now you slow down? And it really is sinking into that feminine energy. That feminine energy is not do, achieve, do, achieve. It's very flowy. Mm -hmm. It's very surrender oriented. It's very receptive. It's very like this honey, this pace of honey, you know? And it's like, yeah, that's uncomfortable because nobody's ever done this before. It doesn't mean we don't, we can't do it. It just means growing pains, right? It's uncomfortable until you know how to do it. Learning how to sew, learning how to play guitar, it's all really hard until it isn't hard anymore. So learning how to adapt and sink into this, like, I have no idea what's going to happen next month. It's just a learned skill that we are all collectively learning in a very short period of time. In it being forced to really, like it really being forced to. And I, I love how you said that and you brought the masculine and feminine into it because I, I completely agree. And I, um, I'm in a state of, I've been a masculine, certainly do, 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 do person. And it's so funny that a lot of what I teach is how to really own what's yours and let the rest go. Like it's about letting it go and not taking it. So I've, it's funny to have embraced a lot of that feminine energy in the last couple of years. And it's, it's helped a lot. It's helped a lot. Like I I certainly have allowed myself space to just, okay, I don't know what this looks like, but today this is what I need. And today, this is what I need. And that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. It's very powerful. So nurturing. Yes, it is because it's so nurturing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have tons of masculine energy, tons, you know, it's my masculine energy that has allowed me to do the things that I have done with like the degree of success that I've I've done them with. That's weird grammatically, but (laughs) cultivate that other feminine energy 
it's so nurturing because it, because it is so mothering. And so many of us have never stopped to think about, um, what do I want? Mm-hmm. And what do I need? And when you're forced to slow down, it's like, you know what I want? I told you, I got up and made pizza dough this morning. I was like, it's Friday. I love pizza on Fridays. I'm going to make my own pizza dough. And like, it's so simple, but when you ask, hey, what do I need right now? And then you answer it and then you attend to that need. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful and it's so nurturing and it does demand a stillness because otherwise you can't hear the answer when you get it, right? No, I have goosebumps. You can't see that right now, but I have absolute goosebumps. <laughs> I, I do think this allows people to, and tell me what your thoughts are on that, allows us to tap into and actually trust our intuition more because we're listening more. Like we're listening more to what I was, I always when people ask me, what is one thing you would go back and tell your younger self? For me, it would be, you always had the answer. You always had the answer. Like you always did. You just didn't trust it. And that's, that's okay. It's okay. Like it's not to beat yourself up, but I, I believe that, that we always do have the answers. So when I feel really stuck, sometimes I'm like, no, no, no. What do you want? What do you actually want out of this? I usually have the answer. Yeah. Yeah. So these are learned skills, right? Like at least I just want everybody to know that we just didn't pop out of the womb and where this is like how enlightened we were. Cause that's not how it was. I don't know about you. Well, I do have an idea, but I just, where that's not the enlightenment like that is learned. And we learn, I believe that in, and I believe that when you are in a space of a strong masculine energy for a long time as a doer, achiever, doer, achiever, you then hit a space in your life where that doesn't work anymore. And you have to embrace and accept that there must be another way to do it. And I believe that might be a good segue to your story of what you have gone through in the past year, two Let's say five. Five, five, <laughs> wherever you want to take that one. You can take it back as far as you want. But I, it was I, a dark and stormy night. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I think it's like, I, I believe you tell me if I'm wrong. I think that the, that feminine type surrender, let go, stay in the moment, flow. Is that something you were almost forced to learn how to do? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So the, and I will make this as short as I can, but the, the, it, we got to start at the beginning to start at the beginning. And I had, I, I had a shitty childhood and, you know, from the outside, it looked like perfection, like actual perfection. Parents were upstanding members of the community, big house, beautiful house, blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, I was significantly emotionally abused and psychologically abused and nobody knew. Nobody knew because like one of the best kept secrets of how to abuse somebody is to isolate them from everybody else who could possibly help them. And then as the abuser, it's so, it's so strategic because you isolate that like abusee from every other person in their life and you're the only person who keeps showing up. So you forge this crazy bond where even though it's such an unhealthy and toxic bond, you're still the only person who's showing up for them. It's nuts. Mm -hmm. So I was dealing with that, but didn't know, like I thought I was insane, right? Like how could this be bad? Everybody else says it's good. And obviously that started to inform my, the rest of my life. I really did grow up feeling like I was a burden. I grew up feeling like I should be anybody other than who I was. And I was really explicitly taught to not follow my intuition, period. Explicitly. Mm -hmm. And, um, I made all kinds of, (sighs) 
bad decisions. And they were bad decisions, not because they were dangerous, but because they were so disingenuous to who I was. And that totally informed the friendships I made, the relationships I chose, et cetera. You know, I got married pretty young, had a family pretty young, and um, we didn't have, we didn't have like a bad marriage. It wasn't a toxic marriage. It just wasn't the right fit because I'd been not myself for so long. And there was this aha moment of, you know, and I talk about this in the book when it comes out that, um, we had a seven bedroom century home. Okay. I I woke up, I was lying on the floor with um, my perfect, like beautiful, wonderful, bright, engaged little girls in this kitchen with exposed brick and like more 60 feet of Carrera marble. And my husband's really good looking and he's making me a latte. And I had this feeling of like, how is this not enough for me? And there was that like flash of download where I didn't even want to hear it at the time, but it was like, this isn't enough for you because you are not enough for you. Mm. And I remember in that moment being like, oh no. And I will later identify that moment as the time that I woke up from my own life, right? It was, I'd, I'd had little signals and little messages and little kind of warning signs that I had so painfully ignored. I drank all the time to numb out the messages so I wouldn't have to confront my own reality. I reached and I reached and I reached. And eventually I had that wake up moment where I was like, okay, so I can't do this anymore. And eventually I ended up leaving the marriage, which was honestly the most painful experience of my entire life, like my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, so figuring life out looks a lot different. Um, figuring it out though, you know, I'd been a stay-at-home mom, start to invent a career for myself kind of overnight. And that's going really well. at 36, like about two years after divorce, um, I got a breast cancer diagnosis. 36. Yeah. And it was like, what? What? (laughs) There's no, there's no history of breast cancer in my family. There's no history of cancer in my family. Like I'm Dutch. We have this incredible healthy stock that we come from for like generations. Right. (laughs) And it was so out of left field. So I'm dealing with this cancer diagnosis and the cancer that I had, when you're, here's a secret, when you're young and healthy and you get breast cancer, you get incredibly aggressive breast cancer. And so the diet, the treatment was incredibly aggressive chemotherapy and surgery and like a radical surgery that was a, a full mastectomy. So I removed both of my breasts. And in that moment, I remember I was so scared. I was so angry and I was so single that I almost didn't do treatment because I was afraid of how I was going to look. And when I started to have those conversations out loud with people that I love and trust, I was able to realize like, oh my God, I'm not afraid of losing my hair and I'm not afraid of losing my breasts. I'm afraid I won't be loved. I'm afraid that like it, it brought this all to the surface that the messaging for me was like, you've never been loved. You've never been loved unconditionally. And if you couldn't be loved unconditionally as this woman with like long wavy hair and these perfect breasts, how the hell are you ever going to find love now? That was such a disgusting feeling. It was so painful to feel. And as you and I both know, once I could admit that, like once I had that level of self-awareness and that level of emotional honesty, it was like, oh my God, okay, now I can heal that. You know, like that doesn't have to be my story. I actually don't believe that to be true. So it doesn't have to be true anymore. And 
just like that, that is like, isn't that powerful? That's so powerful. Yes. And so there was this moment too, this other also lying on the floor. There's a theme I've never noticed before, but I was lying on the floor in my living room in my current house. And I'd come home from treatment or from an appointment where they were like starting to map out what treatment would look like. And I had all kinds of visions in my head of what that would mean for me personally. Right. And I was screaming. My kids were still at school, but I was like primal screaming. And I was like, how the fuck am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. And again, I got that quiet, nurturing download that was like, you're going to make this beautiful. Oh. And I was like, what? And again, it was like, you're going to make this beautiful. And so I was like, okay, there's my answer. I'm going to make this beautiful. Oh. So in that moment, I declared that no longer would I subscribe to this like victim patient, sick, sick, sick mentality. I was just going to make everything beautiful, which I know how to do very well. So I, you know, I started to do things like what my favorite thing is I would wear, I have one pair of Jimmy Choo's and they're leopard print. So I'd wear like my leopard print Jimmy Choo's to the hospital whenever I had an appointment. And yeah, I've got a leopard headband on right now. And like I'd be in my blue hospital gown and my stupid wristband that they give you to strip away your identity and holding my coffee. And I would take like influencer photos of like this picture perfect life, but it totally not perfect because I'm in a blue hospital gown with this wristband on. And I would like send that picture to all my friends. You know, I involved my kids in things like I had so many medications to take before treatment that they came and they picked out my medicine bag and they picked out like this rose gold medicine bag. You know, I was over the top friendly and wonderful with everybody I met because that deepened my experience of joy. And I decided to write my book proposal from chemo. The nurses knew that and they knew that I loved this one chair by the window in the corner. And so they saved the chair for me every time. Like there are so many examples of that moment that I figured out how the hell I was going to do this was to make it beautiful. And I followed through with that. Everything got easier. Like, honestly, gosh, there are probably hundreds of examples of how things just started to flow in my direction. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying in that moment too, I was like circling back to the alchemist. I was like, oh my God, this feels like emotional alchemy. Mm-hmm. You know, taking this feeling of this experience that quote unquote should be dark and heavy and uncomfortable that I don't want and consciously exerting effort and energy and magic mm-hmm. and trust mm-hmm. to make it something so valuable and golden and uniquely my own. And I swear, like my life changed again in that moment too, because it was like, oh, this is how I cope with things now. So, you know, then COVID hits and it's like, oh, I know how to do this. I know how to do this. Like, yes, there's fear. Yes, there's grief. Yes, there's like intensity, but I know how to do this. And it's like, I don't know. That was such a long answer. (laughs) Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. You just shared. Honestly, thank you so much for being so real. I I love real. I love real. And I thank you so much for being that real with people to take them on that journey and have that moment of, I'm going to make this beautiful. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just going to make this beautiful. And I believe that's what you've done. And by sharing it so openly with others, it's, you take some of the fear aspect out of it and it's, you know, not avoiding and, and, and facing what that is. I remember a moment for myself when I was on the floor, it's funny you say the floor. I remember being on the floor physically primal scream crying, not even sure if I could physically get up. And I just kept saying like, I need help with this. I need help. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do anymore. And I remember hearing this voice saying, stop, like just stop. 
And it was so clear. Stop. I'm like, stop what? <laughs> stop what? How can you stop? I'm losing my kids. They're, I'm, like, I didn't know if they were going to make it. And I was like, how, how do I stop? And it was just stop what you were doing. And I like take care of me. And that was, and it sounds so backwards when people are in a state that you're caring for someone else or you're trying to fix something or do something to stop and care for yourself first feels almost selfish or backwards. It's, it's a strange and, and it's a strange thing for people to understand. So you have three girls under nine, like let's be real right now. Mm-hmm. How do you take some of those lessons that you have learned and still take care of you as well as be there for your kids? But I mean, I think these are valuable lessons for your kids to see. So yeah. how does that work? <laughs> so, so here's the real, real. Sometimes it annoys my kids. So they're like, you know, mommy, like sometimes can you just not see the bright side of things? <laughs> I'm like, no, I sorry. Guess, right? I guess it's with me. Yeah, I love that. Do you have to do that? Like, do you have to do that? Can you not just let us judge things? And I'm like, you can do what you want, but here's my outlook. No, it's, you know, it's this kind of perfect, awesome storm of having this, great background in education with other people's children and then having my own life experiences. And, you know, when I was doing my own teacher training, I I incidentally learned how to reparent myself. Like I got all that education that my parents didn't give me. And it's so awesome because, you know, how I reacted to my own childhood was to become this, this excellent mother, this like really, really wonderful present mother. And for my own kids, I'm just so... I'm really open about sharing things as it pertains to their immediate day-to-day life. So, you know, sharing bite-sized pieces of information with them, really chunking it down as it pertains to them. And that's so empowering because it informs them with what they need to know. It uh, draws their attention to, you know, hey, this might feel pretty emotional. Like I, you know, this is called cancer. I'm going to be bald. Here's what that looks like. Here's what that feels like. But also let's create the safe space where you might be feeling kind of intense about this too. You know, when, when I was sharing the cancer diagnosis with them, I, I did it over many months and, you know, it started with things like, well, my left breast is it's really tender. So when we're cuddling, just be really mindful that there's, there's, I don't know, there's something tender in there. And, you know, Remember I told you I had that little tender spot? Well, I'm going to go in for surgery and we're going to remove it, but then I'm going to be really tender. So we got to like very, very lay low. A few months later, it was like, do you remember that surgery that I had? Well, and remember you were talking about Terry Fox at school pretty recently? Well, it turns out that lump that I had removed was also called cancer. You know, cancer can be a scary word. Here's what it means. It's not scary for me. The doctors have found a great medicine to give me, which is amazing because it means that cancer isn't going to come back. The only bad thing about the medicine which is called chemotherapy, it's going to make my hair all fall out and I'm going to be bald and holding that space, you know? And what was so amazing about that, we had a head shaving party here. Oh, I love this. Yeah. Make it beautiful, make it beautiful, make it beautiful, right? So I have like a couple of close friends. I invited like 40 people. And then I was like, no, I'm uninviting 30 of you. Sorry, <laughs> we're keeping it. I love you, but you cannot come. <laughs> but my kids' teachers came. We live in this small town and my kids' teachers came so they could be there as part of it to support them if they needed it too. And, you know, uh, some of my kids' friends were there. My aunt was here. And 
We had snacks and fun music. So even if it was a disaster, they would have this happy memory of snacks and friends. But as it turned out, it was amazing. I looked like a badass with a shaved head. So even that was fun. Like it was so fun. This experience that quote unquote should have been traumatic for everybody was like, so fun. And so it was moments like that. And again, because I gave this like drip method of information, we had enough space to talk about it in an open, judgment-free way. So, you know, I'm a bigger woman, like I'm kind of chubby. So I'm kind of chubby and now I don't have breasts and I was very, very bald. And, you know, one day my little girls came to me and they were like, mommy, I'm really sorry to say this, but you kind of look like a giant baby. And I was like, I know. (laughs) Because it was like, when when you're a kid looking up to your mom and you have this vision of like this earth mother, like wavy hair, and now she's like kind of fat and flat and bald. That was their feeling is that you look like a giant baby. And instead of me being like, oh, my ego, like what will I ever do? I was like, I know. (laughs) And it provided this like ability for them to also be themselves. So that's the underlying message is that I grew up for most of my life, like most of my life, well into my early 30s, not believing that who I was was good enough Mm -hmm. and that who I was was totally not valuable. And the way that I'm course correcting that, because I know that was not just mine, that was passed on from generations. The way that I'm course correcting that is to simply give my children the total ability to be who they are. And it's like, I think that's all I can do. You know, we've talked about this. Their life is not my life. I can't control their experience. There's co-parenting, which is its own challenge. And it's like, okay, I'm just going to empower my kids to be who they are and provide 100% unconditional safe haven to let that unfold as it's going to unfold. Oh, I love everything that you just said. I know that that's going to land with a number of people, but I just love all of it. When I got to the space of accepting that their journey is not my journey and that's okay. It's like, it's not, I can't fix it, control it, change it. It's not my journey. And it. I can't tell you how much it changed everything. It changed my relationship with myself. It changed my relationship with them. And in a sense of it just such a, it was such an empowering time for us and has been something that has continued in our lives. And many times it's like, it's, I I've said this even when they were younger and people think this is crazy because they're like, Oh my God, what if they don't go to university? And I'm like, oh, whatever. Like I honestly, at the end of the day, I, and I, I said this when they were younger, if you told me you love flipping burgers, I would say, awesome. Have fun. Flipping. Like do something you love doing. Yes. I know that sounds flippant for some people who are listening, but we know this economy is changing. Honestly, it is changing every day. There will be jobs out of this that no one ever saw coming. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen and we can't force them. I, I know a number of kids who were nudged to go into different um, avenues who have dropped out, who have changed, who are now at home, who don't know what they're doing. Like we have to allow them to be able to come to a space of making their decisions because that's how they become adults. Like we can't make that for them. We just can't. So it's, I, I resonate so much with what you said. And I think you, by sharing the way you did with your girls, you make it less scary. Like it's yeah. so many people make it very scary. It's a very yeah. scary. Yeah. And that's, that's why, you know, that's when, I guess, emotional intelligence comes back into the picture in a very overt way. It's like the only way that works, because anybody can do that. Like, trust me, anybody can do that. The only way for that to work 
is to have the radical honesty with yourself mm-hmm. and to have that ability to look yourself in the mirror and be like, okay, how do you actually feel right now? You know, <clears throat> we live in this Instagram world and it drives me insane when people are like, just think positively. I'm like, okay, cool. Have a very positive outlook, but thinking positively won't solve anything no, if you're using positivity as a reach and a mask for how you're actually feeling. No, you got to feel it to heal it, man. And like, if you're like, if you're going to ignore your feelings, you will not get to where you're going because your feelings are this, they're constant feedback offering very valuable insights as to what still needs our attention. Mm -hmm. So when you ignore that, you are passing up a huge opportunity to heal and move forward to the feeling you actually want to have. So when you use that burger example, I love it because it's like if that kid is lit up and is brought joy by doing something like working in a restaurant, that's the feeling that we want our kids to have. Grounded, safe, productive, purpose-driven, alive. If that same kid became a lawyer and was making 250K a year, hating it, Mm. that's not success. No, it's not. No, it's not. It doesn't matter what the thing is. It matters what the feeling is. So when you're very clear on what that feeling is, then we can work together and figure out a strategy as to how to create that feeling. And it probably, not might look differently, it probably looks differently than you like think it has to look, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I love everything that that you just said. Is that primarily how you work with your clients? Yes. Okay. So stripping away. So go back to the original outline definition of what you said you your definition of what you do with your clients is I help them. Can you say it again? Yes. I teach people. people. Okay, good. good. Um, I teach people how to elevate their impact Mm -hmm. emotional intelligence. Yeah. See, I, I, what that really means is that I give people the permission to be themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we work intensely for like four weeks, let's say like an hour a week for four weeks, getting really clear on what the hell is happening. You know, I have a video on my YouTube channel called The Vine Story. And it's really about how we each have these wild feelings that present themselves over and over and over again. And we think they're totally unrelated. But when we stop and we trace each of those feelings back to their root, we can see that all those patterns of behavior share one common root. And when we get back to that root and figure out what that is, that's when we start to heal it. I have NLP training, which means that I can like help heal that at a subconscious level and really start to actually let it go. Talk therapy is great, but talk therapy doesn't actually usually get to that result because we still hang on to stuff. That's so I, Yeah. So I help people let it go at a subconscious level. And then from there, it's like we work back and then we work forward. And then we figure out like, okay, so what does, the, what does your new normal look like? If this is the feeling you want to create, how do we work together to create that? One of the, one of the, like my favorite examples, and it actually, she wasn't even a client, but we were, I was on her podcast and she was like, I'm sorry, I don't believe you. And I was like, oh, awesome. I love this. And she's like, I don't believe you. You know, I want a private chef and that requires me to have more money. So yeah, I kind of do need to be a millionaire to afford the lifestyle that I want. And I was like, okay, if you don't mind, I'm going to slip into coaching mode. And I was like, when I hear you say that, that I want a private chef, then I want to know why you want a private chef. And I was like, nothing like, wrong with wanting the private yeah. chef. This who doesn't want a yeah. private chef or like a husband? Right? Who cooks. Same, same. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, when I hear private chef, I hear that maybe you want nurturing or mm-hmm. nourishment 
or you want to know that somebody is caring for you. And like, I only said those three things and she kind of started getting weepy. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so if that's the feeling that you want, let's work together right now and figure out what you can just shift. It doesn't often require a massive change. It's a tiny shift in your life to start creating that feeling. Well, it's going to start with a conversation with your husband and family to tell them that you're feeling overwhelmed. It's going to start by saying, I feel like I'm giving too much. I'm not receiving enough. It's going to start by saying, you know, I for like two nights a week, I don't want to be the one cooking. I want somebody just to take care of me. I'm going to start ordering HelloFresh or whatever good food for another two nights so that somebody else is doing the work. And I was like, that actually does not require a million dollars because a million dollars does not buy you that feeling. Mm-hmm. buys you something else. When you want to generate that feeling, we start right now with a very keen level of awareness and honesty, and we start to cultivate that feeling right here, right now. Oh, oh wow. Beautiful. <laughs> I really love that. I love that. Thank you so much for taking us through that example. That's a really great example to what it means to peel back the layers and actually look at what a person wants. And yeah, I love all of that. Absolutely love it. Um, where there's so many things I want to ask you still, like <laughs> just my, I want to be cognizant of your time too. Where can people connect and find you and follow you and where are you most active? Well, as, again, as you know very intimately, when you have an unusual name, you dominate the social channel. So, like, it's my name at every social channel. But my website is leasewilcox.ca. Yeah. Um, I write every day on Instagram. It's super high impact. Um, it's at leasewilcox. Beautiful Instagram channel. Same thing. Um, and people connect with me on my podcast. It's called To Call Myself Beloved, the podcast with Lise Wilcox. And my book is of the same name, To Call Myself Beloved, which I think is coming out for pre-sale in May. It will oh, be nice. for October. Oh, awesome. So by the time this airs, we'll be able to draw, like give you some um, exposure, or at least for... That would be awesome. Yeah, because yeah, definitely. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, two questions I have yes. for you is what impact do you want to have in the world? Massive. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, man, I just see this ripple effect that sometimes I get really overwhelmed or have been in the, overwhelmed in the past about how like I can't fix everything in the world. And again, this will not be surprising, but I was having one of those breakdown moments and then heard this little voice that was like, you actually don't have to fix all of that. You yeah. just have to give people permission to be themselves. Because when I empower people to be themselves, they get to use their own divine gifts and strengths to go and make the change that they need to make. So I'm like an enabler for good. Oh, I like enabler for good. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, the thing is too, right, is when you show up as that person and like when you be that person that that allows others the permission to do the same right you have to walk the talk you can't you you have to be in this coaching world i think you absolutely have to walk like walk the talk that you do and i think right now um correct me if i'm wrong but i i really feel right now that we are craving more and more real like so if you have not been like this is a great time to be present in social media to show up as a leader who serves and who is giving and who is, you know, helping to give value to other people. It is, it's just a really important time, I think, in the, in the world to do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. That's awesome. One last question I have for you. What lesson in life are you most grateful for? (laughs) 
That is such a good question. How do you do that? I love when there's a pause in this. It's just this <laughs> moment where people are like, damn, I hadn't thought of that. I think it is the very simple and very complicated fact that you alone are enough. Mm. You know, I, I believed for so long that that was totally not true. And when somebody told me that once, I actually got angry because I was like, how dare you say that to me, right? But the lesson that you alone are enough that I am, I alone am enough that it's so empowering to start at that, that very quiet level and build up mm-hmm. from there. That I think that's probably my best life lesson. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely love that. And it's perfect for exactly where you are right now. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being here and for just entertaining my talk on Brene <laughs> <laughs> right? and sharing and sharing and being so real. And really, I know there's so much value that you've given today just by allowing people to see you and what you do and the work that you do and how important it is. So I really appreciate you and thank you for being here today. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.